So I'm going to give you a little background on me. There's a lot of faces I've never seen before. Um, I've been on staff with Mountain Lake for about five years now, and we live down in Forsyth, but every once in a while, they send in the B team, and, and Pastor Brian allows me to come preach up here. So if we haven't met, my name's Nathan, my wife and I, she actually works at the church as well. She runs a preschool ministry down in Forsyth. We've got two kids, Declan and Adelaide, and uh, they're six and four, and my son just started kindergarten this year, so it's not... Kind of, it's not a normal school year for us, you know, going to school, doing all the social distancing and the masking and, and whatnot, but it's, it's, it's been pretty good. I, I'd like to commend our school systems here in Georgia, pretty proud of them here at Dawson and Forsyth, so let's give it up for our administrators, our teachers, faculty, staff, and you know what, I'm going to commend myself too because there hasn't been homework in kindergarten that I haven't been able to, you know, haven't been stumped yet. But I know there's a day coming where his uh, academic work will, out, will outpace me and we're going to have to set aside like a charitable fund for tutoring the Castleberry children. We're accepting donations. It's called the Get Declan to College Fund. You know, I, I did pretty well growing up in school, but math was always kind of like my, my, my B subject. And, uh, you know, I was always kind of looking for the path of least resistance, and I really enjoyed geometry because it had more shapes and, you know, like Pythagorean theorem and all those things. But what I didn't appreciate, and maybe some of you math teachers can help me understand this, what I didn't appreciate was the whole proofs thing, like showing your work, you know. My thing was, this is America. I'm innocent until proven guilty. So teachers, you know, like if you had a hunch that I was cheating, I feel like the burden of proof should be on you, not on me. Proofs were robbing me of my due process. But, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's not that foreign of a concept to have to see it to believe it, right? It's not just a geometry thing. I'm sure there are things in our life, in our faith journey, where we've had to see it in order to believe it. Where we've had a conditional faith where if God shows up in this part of my life, then I will be obedient. If my prayers get answered, then I will trust. And sometimes we see that God needs to come through for us in order for us to place our trust in him. We've probably been in those seasons where we've had doubts that, man, I doubt that my prayer is going to get answered the way I hope. Kind of feels like my prayers are a broken email system where it comes back, where that email gets rejected, where maybe I said it wrong, maybe I typed it wrong, maybe I'm not praying right, maybe there's something in my life that is off and there's this glass ceiling and my prayers never seem to reach the throne room of heaven. If that's you today, if you've struggled with conditional faith, if you've struggled with doubt, you're in good company because uh, that's something I think that all Christ followers face is a, is a crisis of belief kind of having to determine and discern God's will for what the right next step is. So if that's you, if that's somebody that you know, you're in the right place today, we're going to pray, then we're going to dive in and study a classic figure of biblical history named Doubting Thomas. Let's pray, then we'll dive in. Jesus, I ask that you would just speak through me over these next few minutes as we open up your word, protect us from the opinions of a preacher, and uh, use me the same way that this microphone is uh, just a tool to amplify a voice, Lord. We want to hear your voice, not mine. So help us tune out distractions. Speak to us, Jesus, because in these next few minutes, we're going to be listening. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Doubting Thomas gets a really bad reputation in church history. 
He had one moment where he really struggled with a crisis of belief, and that's all we tend to remember him for. But I want to give you a little bit of a background on maybe why Thomas was having such a difficult time with really believing that Jesus is who he says he is and does what he says he's going to do. You see, Jesus was spent most of his life kind of in obscurity, the son of a carpenter, and then was recognized for his Bible teaching and began a very public ministry of teaching God's word, performing miracles, and had quite a big following. So all the 12 disciples that Jesus had hand-recruited were people that the other religious elites had passed over. So it was a really big deal for Thomas and the other 12 to be chosen by a rabbi. And a rabbi like Jesus in biblical times was a traveling itinerant speaker, would go town to town, teaching in the synagogues and just doing miraculous signs and wonders. And over the course of these last few years where Thomas was following Jesus, Thomas and many of the other disciples thought that Jesus was the one who would set Jerusalem, set the Jews, the Hebrew people, free from the oppression of Rome. And when he surrenders his life to the Romans and dies a Roman execution, torturous death on the cross... All of their dreams came toppling down about what this new movement would be with their leader, Jesus. They thought they went from nobodies to an inside kind of cabinet seat on a political revolution that would set their nation free and restore them to the golden age that they once had under King David and King Solomon centuries before. And what we don't give Thomas credit for is if you look at any of the interactions except the moment of doubt, any of the other documents that we have of Thomas are expressing his devotion and his belief and his loyalty to Jesus. Matter of fact, in John we have this moment where Jesus raises a man named Lazarus from the dead in a town called Bethany. And everyone loved Jesus there. He was well received, of course. He just performed an unimaginable miracle of raising somebody from the dead. And then Jesus says, Jerusalem is our next stop. Because Jesus knew what was next was his death on the cross. And all the other disciples were like, Jesus, you've ruffled too many feathers with the religious elite based in Jerusalem. So if you go, they're going to kill you. And Jesus says, nonetheless, that's where we're going. And Thomas, doubting Thomas, is the one that stepped up and says, if he goes, we go with him. If he dies, we die with him. So this is Doubting Thomas. This is the context from which we're going to study this man who had a crisis of belief, whose reality was undone. Because not only did he make this claim about dying with Jesus, when Jesus went and faced the false trial at the hands of the Romans and the, the Jewish religious leaders, Thomas and all the other 12 disciples, none of them had enough courage to stand by their leader during these moments of his trial, torture, and execution. John was the only one who followed Jesus all the way to the cross. And John, most his historians believe, was the youngest disciple. So it may not have been bravery. It just may have been being a dumb young guy, right? So Thomas probably disappointed himself, disappointed in Jesus, disappointed in just reality. I think we can probably, in the midst of 2020, recognize the headspace that Thomas is in. So Jesus dies the disciples are hunkered down, hiding in an upper room because they're scared if they're seen out in public and recognized as one of Jesus' disciples, they will be executed as well. Jesus rises from the grave, starts appearing to his friends, his followers, his believers. But it seems that Thomas is never in the spot where Jesus was. Thomas is always missing out. 
And in John chapter 20, verse 19, we see this. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. A week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What a powerful, dynamic moment that's happening here. Jesus appears to his disciples. And if you just kind of rewind the tapes and look back over the last few days, Jesus had appeared in this very same upper room, but Thomas wasn't there eight days earlier when Jesus showed up to the other 12. We have a story of Jesus kind of hiding his, his, his identity and walking around from one road to another, reasoning with people about how Jesus fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies and then all of a sudden lets them realize, oh, I'm Jesus, and then he disappears. Like Jesus is doing all of these things, and the followers are beginning to get courage, but not yet with Thomas. He says, I won't believe unless. Can you imagine how discouraged he may be? That Thomas, he was just here like eight days earlier. You just missed it. Like, I wonder what was happening. What did, did Thomas, was he sent to like the, the Jerusalem Kroger to pick up some hummus and pita, and then he gets back after grocery run, and they're like, Thomas, you won't believe it. Jesus was just here. And Thomas is like, fake news. I'm going to fact check that. There's no way. I think Thomas was in a place where he was just beat up. And I think when we have those moments where our prayers aren't getting answered, or our nightmares tend to become our reality, we can find ourselves really dejected, really discouraged. And we shouldn't be surprised in those moments when our discouragement is accompanied by doubt. Our discouragement can, can be accompanied by doubt, and we can just start working through our, our minds, like, what was I thinking? Like, I've given three years of my life to this man, following him, believing that he was going to set the Israelites free what he doesn't realize is Jesus did come to proclaim freedom, but it wasn't a political freedom from the oppression of Rome. The freedom that Jesus was offering was freedom from the oppression of our own sin, our own proclivity toward dark and dumb decisions. And so when Rome wasn't overturned, sin was overturned, and there was this disillusionment that set in with Thomas where he wouldn't believe unless he could see it for himself. Feels like three years of his life were just wasted. I don't know about you guys, but if I put three months into something and it doesn't work out, I can get pretty discouraged, right? So imagine three years, 36 months, almost a thousand days of following somebody who's promising one thing and you get another. 
It's really important that we don't miss the drama of what's taking place in Scripture. This isn't just a history book. We have to put ourselves in the shoes, in the psychology of the people, the characters, why it was written, who it was written to. And the whole essence of this book of John was to help people realize that Jesus really is who he says he is. You can place your faith in him. Thomas may have been who John had in mind as he was writing his version, his biography of the life, the teachings, and the ministry of Jesus. And if Thomas was such a doubter, if Thomas really didn't believe in Jesus, if Thomas had really had lost all his faith, I want to ask you to wrestle with this question. Why do you think he kept showing up? If Thomas really wasn't believing in Jesus anymore, if he really was given over to this sense of doubt, then why did he always show up in this upper room where supposedly Jesus was turning up? I think we can maybe say the same thing about some of us who are in this room or watching online. You're not quite sure why you're here. Because maybe you thought that following Jesus would just kind of eradicate all the bad things in your life. You know, that this transaction that would take place when I become a Christ follower, Jesus, he's the one that said he's going to, has plans to, what, give me an abundant life. And what I'm facing right now in 2020, I wouldn't exactly call abundant, right? So it's really easy to recognize how places of doubt and uncertainty can creep in. But you, like Thomas, you're here today because you haven't quite fully given up. And so my encouragement to you is if you're struggling or you're walking with someone who is struggling, just to keep showing up, even when you have your doubts. Keep showing up. I had a friend that reminded me, if you're at the right place enough times, eventually you'll be at the right place at the right time. When there's an epiphany that's going to take place. An awareness is going to set in. You're going to have that aha moment like Thomas did. Now, it may not be as dramatic as Jesus appearing through a wall when a door is locked, right? I, I don't know if, if we're close friends or not, but my friends love to surface videos of them scaring me on social media. I'm very easily scared. So, you know, anytime an angel or Jesus appeared to people in Scripture, the first thing that they say is, peace be with you, do not be afraid, because I'd be the guy on the ground needing to say, I'm sorry, Jesus, I just had an accident in my tunic. Can I go change real quick? I think tunics are what they wore in the ancient Middle East, right? So Jesus appears through the wall. <laughs> he says, Thomas, here's my scars. Look for yourself. Don't just look, you can touch them. Isn't it like Jesus to kind of make it almost awkwardly personal? Like if you have a friend that works in an ER, like I, I call them nurse stories. Like they're absolutely captivating, right? Like when somebody that works in the healthcare profession has like a, a, a surgical story to tell or, or like a, a, a kind of a blood and gut story to tell, you're, you're like, you're there. You don't even have to see it. You just hear about it. Like if your friends on social media, you, you heard that this summer my middle finger got chopped by a lawnmower. I would love to tell you that story and it'd be really captivating for another time, but I wouldn't necessarily want you to touch the scar. Like that would make it a little bit awkward, but here Jesus is. He knows what Thomas needs and he meets Thomas right where he is. Notice what Jesus doesn't do. Jesus isn't offended. He's not offended. 
by Thomas's doubts. He doesn't attack him with the other side of the story. He doesn't throw a bunch of facts and figures and scriptures. He doesn't tell Thomas in this moment how he fulfilled every single one of the prophecies and says, Thomas, where have you been, man? Now, there are moments where Jesus shows the disciples and other Christ followers the scriptures and how he was the fulfillment of those scriptures. But in that moment, the posture of Jesus was accommodating, was welcoming. Thomas realized in that moment that it's among the company of Jesus and Jesus himself that is actually a safe place to raise his questions, to express his concerns and his hesitation. And Jesus met him where they are. So if you're struggling with the faith, that's the Jesus you need to know today, that he is not frustrated with you. He's not insulted by your doubts in him. He can handle it. And if you're a Christ follower, a representative of Jesus, you and I, we should be the safe places to land for people who are struggling. They should know that when they talk to us and maybe have a difference of opinion in us or a doubt about our belief system, that we can handle those conversations with grace. Now, we'll get to the place where we offer them some truth, and we'll talk about what the Bible actually says, but so often you see that before Jesus gets to the truth and draws a line in the sand about what our belief system really is, he meets people with grace, with dignity, with empathy, and he knew that what Thomas needed in that moment was something personal and something real. Can you and I be that for the people who are struggling? Can you and I represent Jesus like that to those in our life who may not fully have their act together, who are still trying to connect the dots and follow where the breadcrumbs lead? And maybe if we reflect that posture of Jesus, we can help escort people over the threshold of our faith and helping them become introduced to who Jesus is and their faith could be placed in somebody who will never let them down. That's the aha moment. That's the discovery that Thomas had in that very personal moment with Jesus. All he had was the word of mouth, was the, the story of all their other friends and that wasn't enough for him. You see, in this day and age, no one has to take our word for it anymore because we capture everything with a smartphone, right? Like, I could tell you a crazy story. The other day in my neighborhood, there was a turkey, a wild turkey in our neighborhood jumping from rooftop to rooftop. A lot of people didn't even know that turkeys can fly. This one certainly could. Flew up to a roof and was running from this parade of children that were watching this turkey throughout the neighborhood. And it doesn't even sound real, but I can prove it to you because my wife caught it on her camera. Now imagine explaining to somebody 2,000 years ago what it's like to carry a supercomputer in your pocket that can capture moments and replay it back with stunning quality. It wasn't enough for Thomas to just take their words for it. And there Thomas was with this conditional faith, this reluctance to to recommit his life to Jesus. Jesus meets him where he is, and Thomas has an epiphany that few people, even in Jesus' inner circle, had had this moment of clarity happen because Thomas says something that really lets you know how deep this revelation was to Thomas. Don't miss it. When Jesus reveals his scars, 
and accommodates Thomas's doubt, Thomas's response is, my Lord and my God. This is one of the very first recordings that we have of somebody recognizing Jesus for who he truly is. This was a discovery that Jesus led Thomas into. You know, in our doubts, in our discouragement, may we kind of follow the path that Thomas did and allow our doubts to lead to discovery. That's what happens when we bring our doubts and our disillusionment to Jesus. Our doubts can lead to discovery. And here's the discovery that Thomas made. It was twofold. He said, my Lord and my God. Most people have only recognized one or the other at this point in history. My Lord and my God. Why is it so important that Thomas said both of those? If you'll read throughout scripture, you'll see sometimes where there's Lord written with all capital letters, and there's times where it's written with lowercase letters and a capital L. This one is capital L, lowercase O-R-D. This was a recognition that a lot of people had had, the same way they would have for like a leader in the community. They would say, my Lord, my boss, my authority. The other Lord was more of a throwback to the Old Testament name for God, which was Yahweh, which they considered too holy to even write it down or say it. So they would make this all caps, um, all caps with mostly consonants word to kind of just capture the consonants of Yahweh. And they would render that capital L-O-R-D all throughout scripture. That's not the one that they used here. This wasn't a recognition of his deity with the word Lord as a recognition of his authority. But when he moves on to say my Lord and my God, that's when he realized that he's not just the leader of a revolution. He's not just the boss of this little friend group that we've been following around for the past three years. He's not just a source of moral authority for the way I'm supposed to live. He is the God of the universe. He is the all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere at one time God. This man, not only is he my leader, my Lord, but he is God in flesh incarnated. This was the discovery that he had, and most people had, even the inner circle of Jesus wasn't quite there yet. This is the true legacy of doubting Thomas, one of the first to actually recognize Jesus for who he truly is, a leader of a movement here on earth, but also the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of the universe. He fully embraced Jesus. And out of that embrace of Jesus, he was then able to fully live his life devoted as well. And I think what we see from the story of Thomas as it continues, because Thomas, from this moment on, lived a life of bravery and courage and fully devoted obedience to the call that Jesus places on us to be his witnesses here, there, and everywhere. All-out devotion, all-out obedience, full submission to Jesus. And I think we can only get there when we, like Thomas, recognize the authority, the deity, the supremacy of Jesus in our lives. See, you and I, we can only be fully devoted to what we have fully embraced. And some of us, we've recognized Jesus as a good source of authority, but we haven't really embraced the power that comes with recognizing him as 
the God of the universe. The goodness that comes with recognizing him as the creator God who took great delight into speaking things into existence. The God who used his words to create the earth in seven days and rested on the seventh just to enjoy his creation. That's the goodness of my God. But then there's also the leadership of Jesus teaching us who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to live. And these two things have to live in tandem for the Christ follower. It's the, it's the combination of grace and truth. And not only is it a moral code, but it's a loving God that expresses his love through us and through the way that we walk out the tenets of Christianity. We gotta have both in our lives. The authority of Jesus as our Lord and the deity of God as our king. So how does the story of Thomas end? Where could you go from your doubts and your discouragement and your disillusionment? Well, for the next six weeks or so, Jesus would continue appearing to his followers and rallying the troops for what would take place after he would ascend back into heaven and, and lay the commission on us to be his representatives in Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. What that means is locally, regionally, and globally, us, you and I, his followers, we are supposed to be sharing our story, our testimony as his witnesses as to what Jesus can do in our lives. But the church, they kind of played it safe and just stayed in Jerusalem. Thomas was the first one to leave the mothership. Thomas was the first one to go on a missionary journey. And did you know there are church fathers and leaders and pastors in the country of India today who can trace their pastoral lineage all the way back 2,000 years ago to a missionary named Thomas who left Jerusalem. Now, Paul and Peter and the other ones, they would go on their journeys eventually, but it would be decades after building up a really strong church in Jerusalem before they would finally feel comfortable enough to start spreading the word around the Middle East and throughout Asia. Even Marco Polo on his journeys toward the Far East discovered churches that were planted and still intact throughout India that all trace their, their roots back to Doubting Thomas. So some of the earliest movements of Christianity were brought forth through the obedience of a man who struggled with doubt of a man who struggled with discouragement, of a man who said, I will not believe unless. So my challenge to us today, my encouragement to us today, is let's identify those areas of our life that we have yet to surrender to Jesus. Let's identify those areas of our life where we're still negotiating obedience. Let's identify those areas of our life where, where we're waiting for God to show up before we take a step in faith. Let's bring those doubts, let's bring those concerns, let's bring those hesitations to Jesus as we are and say enough is enough, I'm all in Jesus. Where you lead me, I will go. What would it look like in your life if you from this moment on predetermined to have the answer yes to every nudge that you feel from the Spirit? every act of generosity or sacrifice or obedience, every next step that he has authored for you, choose today to say yes. 
For those of you who aren't even sure what you believe, my hope is that you feel safe in a place like this to wrestle with those tough questions about who Jesus is, about what Christianity is. Because in these next few moments, we're gonna lead you in a time of prayer where you can kind of do business with Jesus and you can walk out of this room or leave the broadcast knowing that you can surrender your faith and your trust into Jesus and he will lead you on the adventure of a lifetime. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, the band is gonna get in place to lead us in a, in a time of worship, but before we do that, I want us to really look deep into our lives and our hearts and just ask God to reveal what it is that we need to surrender. If it's your first time asking that question, then the answer is everything. Who you are, your identity, your hopes, your dreams, that's what it means to repent and place your faith in the Lord. If you are a Christ follower, what that looks like is looking through our habits, our calendar, our finances, our, our, our morals, our decisions, and, and asking God to reveal which of those areas of our life need to look a little bit more like Jesus. So I'm gonna ask, if you are wrestling with your faith, that in the quiet of your own heart and your own mind, you would simply repeat these words after me as a prayer of repentance as a prayer seeking forgiveness. It goes like this. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner in need of a savior. I'm tired of doing things my own way. I believe that you died on the cross and rose again from the grave to forgive me. Thank you for being the Lord of my life. Thank you for loving me and I will live my life for you from this day forward. Jesus, I'm just gonna join in with heaven as they celebrate the spiritual decisions that are being made today, Lord, that as we get real about our spiritual lives and the things that are lacking, the things that are uncertain, Lord, that we find an open arms, open-handed Jesus ready to meet us where we are, Lord, but I pray that we leave here differently. You accept us as we are, but you love us too much to leave us that way. So in these next few minutes, Lord, as you're seeking to identify next steps for us, I pray that our answer is surrender, our answer is yes, our answer is obedience to the things that you have in store for us. Be lifted up in these next few moments as we sing to you, Jesus. It's in that name that we pray, amen.